So I'm an optimist by nature. Um, how many other optimists do we have in our midst today? My people, you know who you are. Optimists are the ones that can take any situation and spin it to make it great, right? Here's how you know if you're an optimist, okay? This, is, this was the ultimate test, was 2020. When, when, when quarantine happened, if you're an optimist, you didn't see it as a bad thing. You, in fact, saw it as a way to save some money by not eating out, finally. You saw it as a way to clean your house, maybe for the first time since it was built. You saw it as an opportunity to finally do those household upgrades. You saw it as an opportunity to spend time with each other, right? Maybe. Here's uh, Bob Goff. He's a very well-known author, speaker. I love his stuff, um, his books, his podcasts. And he's quoted often saying that he's such an optimist that if he were swimming in the ocean and saw a shark, he'd just say it was a dolphin with big teeth. And he'd be fine. I'm definitely not that much of an optimist. Now, if you're not an optimistic person, they annoy the fire out of you. People like me, you can't stand because you think we're just living in denial, right? You just can't stand it. Like to you, it's like face reality already. Well, here's, here's the deal. I think there's two types of optimism, okay? There's one that I think you're right. There's just plain denial. It'll be fine, that's not what, what I think I have. Um, my kind of optimism is what I like to call a joyous optimism. Now let me explain exactly what joyous optimism is. Joyous optimism is trying to maintain focus of the, uh, of the big picture. It's trying to keep perspective of the big picture even when things really stink. Okay? Denial just pretends it's never happening. Let me give you some examples. Okay, this, this season uh, of 2020, many people actually lost their jobs. Now, joyous optimism says, you know, there, there's other jobs. If I'm apt to be honest, I didn't really fully enjoy my job anyway, so I know maybe I can find something, a new career that I'll enjoy more. Denial says, maybe my boss didn't mean you're fired when he said you're fired. I'll just show up and hopefully security doesn't escort me out again. All right, uh, maybe you were broken up with. All right, joyous optimism says, look, baby, the pool's wide open. I'm gonna jump back in. But denial, denial says, I don't think he really meant it's over when he said it's over. Like he just texted me that he was probably in a movie and it was over. So I'll call him anyway. Jo joyous optimism, uh, when someone that we know walked with Jesus is suddenly gone. Joyous optimism understands that really stinks. But we rest in the fact that Jesus didn't take them, but he received them home. Denial, denial denies that it ever happened. Sometimes we even tell ourselves, maybe they're just on an elaborate vacation. E-learning. For many parents, they had to e-learn for the very first time. Now your kids are, are stuck at home with you, and if you're not used to that... Joyous optimism says, you know, I'm going to take this time to engage with my kids, to maybe learn how to teach them. I'm going to spend some time with them. Denial deadbolts the bedroom door, goes back to sleep, and orders food from Uber Eats through your bedroom window. <laughs> There's a big difference between joyous optimism and denial. But what's the secret, right? What's the secret sauce to maintaining perspective when things just flat out stink? Because we have to be able to say and live in the fact that things sometimes really stink. 
Denial is no way to live. Denial not only makes you annoying to others, but denial doesn't face reality. It doesn't face the truth. So what is the secret? Well, the secret that I'm going to propose to you, it's actually really, really simple, um, especially in relation to our story today from, from Luke 21. But the secret sauce is joy. It sounds overly simple, but it really is. Because with joy, what's great about joy is you don't have to be in denial. With joy, you know the outcome. With joy, you at least have hope in the person who can bring the outcome. With joy, it's, it's, what's great about joy is optimism. It's always anchored in truth. You can openly admit that your situation isn't ideal, that it really stinks. But you can be optimistic in the fact that you know the truth, that you know who instituted the truth, and, and you can move on. It's a really great way to live. Now, this isn't the case all of the time, but most of the time, most of the time, things that cause us suffering in life, they take us a bit by surprise. We, we often don't really see a diagnosis coming or a pandemic coming, or, 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 or anything else, an accident. We don't see it coming and take us by surprise, but what would it take for you to maintain perspective if you knew something terrible was coming? It would drive you crazy if you knew that hard times were ahead and there was nothing you could do about it. If you knew this year would look like it has for you, what would you have done to prepare? What would you have done differently? How would you have maintained perspective of the big picture? Now, here's why I ask. I ask that because I think many of us have lost perspective. I think many of us have forgotten where our joy comes from. Actually knowing that something bad or terrible is imminent creates a great deal of fear and uncertainty. Uncertainty brings fear. And we can't live in denial. On January 1st in 2021, we're not going to wake up and all this is done. Those who understand, like, there's still a long road ahead that creates some fear. It's hard to be optimistic and what I think has, hap has happened to many followers of Jesus is we've, we've leaned too much into that fear that we've lost perspective of our joy and where it comes from. If I could speak candidly for a moment, um, I, I think the enemy is having a heyday with a lot of Christians. I think he's really enjoying himself this year. And, and it's time to refocus. It's time to get back on track. And what better way to get back on track than the word of God, and not only the word of God, but one of the most bone-chilling teachings the disciples of Jesus ever sat through. Luke 21. Think about it. Up to this point, the, the disciples have been front and center with this man who changed history. They've seen everything. And I used to think that the disciples of Jesus had an unfair advantage over me for walking with him until I read this story. Now, I'm thankful I'm on this side of history, of knowing what happens. 
Because, I mean, up to this point, they, they've been pretty protected by Jesus. They felt protected. They, they were protected. Imagine what a life that would have been to make a lot of people mad and to know you're going to be safe, to, to, to go up against so many different, differing odds and know you're going to be safe and know that whatever, however you come through is exactly how you're supposed to come through. What a life. And you can imagine their shock when Jesus suddenly drops a little prophecy on them, one of his many abilities, that suddenly just their world starts to unravel. They, they know that he's, he's, he's alluded to them before. Guys, there's going to be some hard times. But now he lays it wide open. He takes this opportunity and he prophesies about things that are about to happen to the people that have followed him for so long. And it, it terrifies them and rightfully so I don't know if we can truly appreciate the fear that they felt on this side of it, knowing how it all went, but they were terrified. It starts with the first event was something that I don't think anyone ever really thought that they would see. It was the destruction of one of their most sacred locations. It was the temple in Jerusalem. I mean, they've taught at synagogues, but this was the temple this was, this was like the place. This was the place that all those other places only aspire to be. This was the place that had so much history to, Jew, to, to Jewish people. It was so rich in history, and now they're there. And, and as you can imagine, you've, you're inside the temple with Jesus, and this building is just impressive, and the disciples are going around, and, uh, as well as everybody else, and they're just they're touching the stones. They're like, this thing is incredible. And Jesus uses this as an opportunity to begin his prophecy. And he doesn't say, you're right, it's really something. Here's what he says in Luke 21, starting in verse 5. He says, guys, gals, as for these things that you see, the days will come when there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. So their most treasured location, gone. The worst part, he didn't put a date on it. They knew it was going to happen, but they didn't know when. That would drive me crazy. But they knew it was going to happen. We know now it was AD 66. And if you're a follower of, of Jesus in this time, you're smart enough to realize that something that has the magnitude to tear down the temple it's got to be something like an invasion of some sort. And then Jesus confirms your worst fear. He goes on. He doesn't just leave it as the temple. He says, by the way, by the way, the temple's not going to be the worst part. In fact, there's going to be a lot of wars and persecution coming your way. And then he says this, but before, in verse 12, but before all of this, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you. Not in the nice way giving you up to the synagogues and prisons and you will be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake, this will be your opportunity to bear witness. Now, I don't know about you, but I will openly admit this. When things start to go south for me, when things go wrong, the very last thing I think in my mind is how can I highlight my faith through this? I just don't go there. My, my desire is how do I gain control? How do I stop the pain? How do I come back out on top? It's not, how can I highlight Jesus? And I hate to admit that, but it's true. When pain enters my life, and maybe yours too, you've probably lived this, your immediate reaction is to get out, is to get away from it. 
But some of our best moments, have you noticed this? Think to some sufferings that we've went through. Some of our best moments to share the joy and the hope that we really have is in the suffering. When everything goes wrong. 2020 is literally the best opportunity many followers of Jesus have to share the joy that we have, that we've ever seen. But before we get to how we can do that, we've got to go back to the story. It didn't even stop there. Destruction of the temple, war, persecution, you're going to be in danger. Then he turns his attention in in, in verse 20 to one of the most horrific events we have of Jewish history. As if the temple wasn't enough, he says, but when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know its desolation has come near. What a powerful word, desolation. AD 66 is when this would happen, but they didn't know when. Along with the destruction of the temple, and the pictures we get from the history of this event are bone-chilling. Terrible, terrible suffering. After this, here's what I love about Jesus. I love Jesus because he was never afraid to call sin, sin. He was never afraid to just tell you you were going to suffer. He was never afraid to tell the truth. But what I love about Jesus, and I think we could, we could take some of this for for our context today. What I love about Jesus is he never left them hanging. He always pointed back to the truth. He always pointed back to how they can maintain hope and perspective and how they can maintain their joy when those things were going to happen. Every time he always turned it back. And this is no different. He tells them how to maintain perspective. But before we get there, I'm going to ask you, and I want you to be honest, When things go wrong, where do you turn? Where do you go for your perspective? I love this story in Luke because it's real life. Stuff like this happens. The world crumbles. We're fearful. Things start to go wrong. Where's our perspective? Let us remind ourselves it's not found anywhere online. It's not found in any news channel, in any leader. So where is our perspective found? And then, they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with great power and great glory. Perspective. Jesus tells them this to give them hope. The end will come, and it will be glorious for you. I will come in great glory and great power. If you just listened to what he said, and if you understood, like that's your entire heritage just up in smoke, this would be music to your ears. And he even goes further. He gives such great instruction. In verse 28, he tells them how when the destruction of the temple happens, when you're drugged before people and they're beating you, they're killing you, they're imprisoning you, when Jerusalem falls... He says, when all these things begin to take place, what's he say? Straighten up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. We live in a culture right now 
if I had to classify it in one word, it would be reactive. Because we, we live in a culture where we have things like online, our social presence, our uh, different leaders, different channels we can go to that will do nothing but feed us everything that we already agree with. And it creates a world that can be completely divided because our perspective is on one thing, being right. Our perspective is lost. When we are looking at our phone to post, when we're looking on, online, when we're looking at the news, we're not looking up, we're looking down. We're reacting. Straighten up. Look up. When, when you are fearful, look up. Look up before you ever criticize. Look up before you ever look to a leader. Look up before you ever worry. Look up before you ever wonder if this will all go away. Look up. Look up. If you need reassurance, and I love this, if you need reassurance that, that you don't have to know everything, that, that, that you don't have to like prove to yourself it's going to be all right, you really don't. If you need reassurance that, that God is still on the throne, that his kingdom is coming, listen to what Jesus says next. He keeps going. He gathers them around in verse 29. He says, look at the fig trees, you guys. Look at them. As soon as they come out and leave, you see for yourselves and you know summer's already near. So also when these things happen, know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things have taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Joy is found in what we know is true, in what we know to be true, not in what we hope to be true, not in what we want to be true, in what we know is true. And Jesus is telling them, as surely as you see flowers bloom, sunrise, and the sky is still blue, you'll know that these things are going to happen. That's how sure I am you're going to suffer in this way. But not only will those things happen, the reassurance will always happen. I will protect you. I will, I will deliver you. He said, you might even die, but you know that the joy is there because the triumph will come as surely as those trees bloom. The triumph will come. So look up, Christian. Man, when tragedy strikes, when uncertainty strikes, it shouldn't take us by surprise. It never takes God by surprise. We shouldn't even, we should know if, if you're a disciple of Jesus, you should know it's probably going to get worse before it gets better. So we've got to stop looking down and start looking up. Always look up first. And a great way to live, Jesus ends this account starting in verse 34, a great way to live. I, I love how he does this. He paints a gloomy picture then he gives you hope. Then he says, here's how you keep that hope. He ends this by telling us exactly what we should do, what they should do when these things start to happen. He says, but watch yourselves. Lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life. And that day come upon you suddenly like a trap. For it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth. But stay awake at all times praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and stand before the Son of Man. Stay awake and watch yourself. 
Notice Jesus didn't tell them, and he probably could have, how to stop these things from happening. No, 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 no. He tells them how to respond. He tells them where to look when they do happen and to lean on their faith through prayer, to lean on their faith through the reassurance that they understand where their eternity lies, regardless of what happens to them here. He did this so that they would always focus on their main mission. Christians have a prime opportunity when things happen like they have this year. We do. Did you know that when a person of faith suffers, people lean in to you more than they do anybody else? Why? Because when a person of faith suffers, people want to see if the hope that you say you have, you actually have. Because everybody suffers and everybody knows that and they wanna see if it's real or if you become more noisy. They wanna know if it's real or, 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 or is it only when things are going well for you? They want to know if it's legit. And what a great opportunity that we have. And, and I think we've missed it. I, think, I know I have. When I look back at this year, especially, I feel like this year really started in March. <laughs> I think of Luke 21, 13. I think of that passage. This will be your opportunity, Philip, to bear witness. To bear witness to the only thing that makes an eternal difference, and that is hope in Jesus, a relationship with Jesus. That's it. Christians have such a prime opportunity. So I want to ask, follower of Jesus, how do you respond? When things start to go this way, how do you bear witness in the good times? People know. (laughs) People can see when we get all riled up by all the stuff that's happening. Trials are never meant to draw us further from Jesus or each other. They're meant to bring us closer together, to bring us closer to him. In fact, when you say, I follow Jesus, you are committing that you will use every opportunity, good and bad, to draw near and to see clear and to help others see clear. And and this drives most people nuts. It drives them crazy. Because when you have such a joyous optimism that it raises you above any side of an argument, it drives people nuts because you won't get involved because you maintain perspective on what really matters. The only mission Jesus gave his followers to go and to teach and to preach and to baptize and share the hope. And when it raises you above either side of an argument, it will drive people crazy. But the impact is felt that you may never even know about. It is felt within your children. It is felt within your your marriage. It is felt within your relationship with with the boy or girl in math class. It is is felt with your teachers. It is felt with your enemies even. It is felt. I come now again to this. I think too many of us have missed the opportunity. I know I have. But we did seize some opportunity. We did seize the opportunity to to tell people what we think. I seized the opportunity to become more critical. We seized the opportunity to place our hopes in, in an election. Tell me, when has that ever worked out in human history? There's a reason God said to Israel, don't have a king. People stink. They'll mess up. Many of us, like myself, who would agree with that, we've 
we've still placed our hope in who sits in an Oval Office. And if it's not the person we chose, we become so cynical. We let our joy be dictated by the things we're supposed to do or, or need to do or don't do. It's just, it's just noise. We'll even use Scripture to back up our own view. We'll take it out of context before we ever spend time and look up with God and his word. We'll take it out of context and use it as a weapon against other people. That used to be punishable by death. And if that were still the case, I wonder how much we would vet every Thing we post, everything we say. I'm telling you right now, I wouldn't preach anymore. Nope. If there was even a, a, a slight chance that I would take something out of context and lead one person, then Craig would have to kill me. I'm out. <laughs> Too much of a risk. Now, I know, I know, you guys, this is stepping on toes. I've got to tell you something about pastors. Pastors aren't meant to be your best friend. There is, is, my heart just goes out to a lot of my peers because we've all dealt with this during this season. There's a lot of criticism about the things that churches have done, have not done. Pastor's job is to spend time in the word of God more than anybody else. And to allow God to tell us what our people need to hear and to say it unapologetically even when the emails and the negativity come. And I'm telling you right now at this church, we will continue to do that. And I know I got brothers and sisters who are pastors all around that are doing the same thing. Because there's too much at stake to just not address the mess that is right in our lap. So let's refocus. Let's refocus. What Jesus instructs in verse 28, let's do that, straighten up, and let's raise our heads to the bigger picture. And let's help other people see the bigger picture. Let's even allow ourselves to disagree because we are focused on the big picture that we all agree on. The suffering in the negative isn't going anywhere, you guys. And it will get worse before it gets better. It will. Don't be one of the voices that makes it worse. See the opportunity and take it. I believe, yes, that I've, I know I've missed the mark. Only you know if you have. But what better season than the Christmas season to reunite? <laughs> what better season than the Christmas season to spread the hope? What better season than the Christmas season to just not feel guilty, not, 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 dwell in the past but look forward to the future and help people see the hope that they have in Jesus what what better season than the Christmas season to have the opportunity and to actually unleash that on people that their hope is found in something bigger than anything that goes on we get to be bearers of good news you know all I want for Christmas is for me to be less noisy and to have more joy What can you do? <laughs> you actually don't have to look far. Jesus already gave us the answer. Watch yourself. Watch yourself. Uh, Paul, he wrote a lot of the New Testament. He actually echoes Jesus and he says it this way. 
says, Christian, take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. Take your thoughts, your reactions captive and submit them to Jesus. Watch yourself. Don't lose sight of the big picture. I believe we can recover. And I believe that this can be a time marked in history where the church, even though every other corner of the world was dark, the church spread the light. Because they unified together and they spread it. Within this long section of Luke, uh, it's in the part actually where he talks about the destruction of the temple. You remember that? We didn't read it because there's a ton of scripture there. But Jesus actually tells them in that section that there will be many distractions. He even says there's going to be people that try to take your focus off of me. And he pleads with them. He says, guys, don't fall for it. Don't fall for it. The, The plea is still the same today. Don't fall for it. Don't get sidetracked. Watch yourself stay focused on Jesus. If there is anything that is divisive, rise above either side of an argument. It will drive people crazy. But it will impact so many more than you would ever know. We already know hard times are coming. We're living in them, you guys. Wake up. We're living in the hard times. But Jesus is on the throne. And I promise you, I just asked him this morning, he ain't going anywhere. He's there, he's staying, he always will, and he always has. He's on the throne. Use this time as an opportunity to highlight that and that alone. He is on the throne. He always will be. Christmas ushers in the birth, and what we're going to focus on this year is the the crucifixion and the resurrection of the one who made all this possible. He is risen and fully alive. He wants every follower of Jesus to be fully alive as well. Now, one last thing. If, if, if you don't follow Jesus or if you don't have that kind of relationship with him, um, this might sound crazy to you. You're right. It's crazy. But what I would challenge you to do, if, regardless of your experience with faith, um, whether you're sitting on the couch at home or, or you're here, Find one of those joyously optimistic people of faith in your life. They're there. God makes sure. And typically at Christmas, you're kind of forced in the same room with them anyways. Find them and investigate. Just investigate. I dare you. Because the joy is there. I am. I'm, I'm a naturally optimistic person most of the time because when I go pessimistic, it's not good. I'm optimistic by nature. But the joy that's been placed there, the joy that I'm challenging myself, and I will challenge you unapologetically, has been placed there by the fact that Jesus is risen. It's been placed there by the fact that I can have, I I can say anything, I, I, I can have all these thoughts, but the only thought and the only passion I need to pour into is sharing the hope and the love of Jesus to the world. The joy that's been placed in my life is real. It's where my joy is found is in the fact that Jesus loves me. He has a plan. And no matter what happens to me here, I know where I, know where I go next. Remember, <laughs> look up. Raise your heads this Christmas season. And reclaim the joy that the enemy has taken. Because it's not his to keep. Reclaim it. Joy that's anchored in truth. Let's pray. God, I thank you for 
the hope that we have, the joy that we have that's only found in you. The hard truth is, God, we, we have as Christians in our nation, many of us have drifted. Um, we have. I know I have, God, and I, I ask for forgiveness. And I just ask for a path forward. Uh, give us the boldness and the courage to, to spread your word, to spread your hope, to spread the love um, that we know that we have in you. I thank you for accepting us. I thank you for hearing us, God. I thank you for forgiving us. Please just continue to forgive us as we fall short. Let us not waste this time in history to shine a light on the only thing that matters, a God that is unchanging and never failing, and a Savior who saved us. In your name we pray, amen.